With Halloween just around the corner, my family has plenty of tricks and treats planned. But thanks to Pampers, one thing I have never been afraid of is a leaky diaper. Fear no leaks with new and improved Pampers Swaddlers, now featuring a blowout barrier at the back waist that helps prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. We've always looked forward to getting the girls dressed up for Halloween when they were babies. And with Pampers, we knew that in addition to being absolutely adorable in their costumes, they would be dry, clean, and comfortable. With Swaddlers, you can rest assured that you have superior leak protection while keeping baby skin healthy. Pampers Breathe Free Liner wicks away wetness, allowing baby skin to breathe, while the lockaway channels help keep baby skin dry and healthy. Pampers Swaddlers are dermatologists approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic, and free of parabens and latex. Pamper Swaddlers are available in sizes newborn to size 8 and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. For trusted protection, trust Pampers, the number one pediatrician-recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today and earn Pampers cash. Redeem your Pampers cash for exclusive Pampers coupon savings and rewards. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you. I'm saving a special moment in this introduction for my daughters, Talia and Layla. Girls, I know it has not been easy as I've tried to navigate the challenges of juggling my career and motherhood. And I fully admit that I did not always get the balance right. But I hope that you've seen that with hard work, determination, and love, it can be done. That was Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson at her confirmation hearing to become the first Black woman nominated and confirmed to the Supreme Court. For me, and for lots of working moms, that moment resonated so deeply. And then like salve for our soul came what might be the most enduring image of the hearing. Jackson's 17-year-old daughter, Layla, gazing adoringly at her mother, who, like so many women of color, was blazing the trail of the first and the only. That photo was made by Sarah Beth Maney, a photojournalist at the New York Times. And Sarah Beth is here to talk about how it happened, what it meant to her, and why who captures history matters. Sarah Beth, hello. Hi, thank you for having me. Do you remember the first time that someone put a camera in your hands? The first camera I remember having was this pink Sony point-and-shoot camera. And I think I got that camera in the like third or the fourth grade because I kept asking my mom for a camera for Christmas. But I just remember taking my camera to school with me all the time and photographing my friends during recess and going to like slumber parties and, and documenting the whole night. And my father, who passed away when I was 10, he always had a camera on him. So it was sort of in my DNA. Can you tell me, as someone who has only consumed but never produced this, what makes 
a great journalistic photo? For me, I think what makes a great photo is emotion. That's something that I'm always looking for when I'm making photos, even when it's just a typical day um, on Capitol Hill. I don't necessarily photograph what things look like. I photograph what things feel like. What about the ethos of your work hooks into your own life experience? At this point in my life, I'm not religious anymore, but I grew up very religious in the church all the time. And I'm grateful that I did because I was exposed to a lot of different communities. I was doing volunteer work every single weekend. I was working with the houseless population around the Bay Area, which is a huge topic in the Bay Area. So that really exposed me to a lot of things really young. And at 14, I was volunteering in Skid Row in Los Angeles. And I was talking to people and learning about their stories. And I remember there was one day where I was talking to a woman, her name was Melinda Newsom, and she told me her story and how she ended up to be homeless because she was in the military and was discharged and didn't have a place to go. So after speaking with her, I remember just walking away and thinking, man, I wish I had my camera so that I could make a photo of her and share her story with other people. And so at 14, I sort of knew that I wanted to be a photojournalist before I even knew what photojournalism was. I had no idea that it was even a career path. So just all of these life experiences and the way that I grew up, I think really exposed me early on to what my future would look like. Let's talk about Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson's confirmation hearings. You knew once she was set to have those hearings that you wanted to be in the room. That is not a given that everyone who wants to be in that room gets to be in that room. What kind of advocacy did you do for yourself to make sure you were going to be there? Yeah. Early on, when I found out that President Biden was nominating a Black woman to the Supreme Court, I you know, raised my hand and I told my editors, you know, I'd really like to contribute to any coverage that I can. And I just, you know, kept sending reminders until that time came. And um, when (laughs) Judge Jackson got to Capitol Hill and started meeting with senators, I made sure that I followed her to as many meetings as I could, even if that meant just her walking down a hallway. I felt like, you know, the more I go and show my face and the more I'm there, the more maybe access I'll be able to get, the more that she'll recognize me and we can sort of start building the connection. And she met with 97 senators in a matter of like three weeks. So I went to a handful of those uh, meetings and I stayed late a lot of days following her around. And then I made sure that I was there for every day of those hearings as well. When my babies were going through their exploration stage, I had so much to worry about. Falling over, bumping heads, what did she just put in her mouth? The list was endless. But when they were in pamper swaddlers, I knew I never had to worry about a leaky diaper. Swaddlers are great for both baby and mommy. They keep your baby's skin healthy and dry with Pampers Breathe-Free Liner, which wicks away wetness, allowing your baby's skin to breathe. Swaddlers have always given me peace of mind knowing that diaper rash and leaky diapers were not in our future. There's also the blowout barrier at the back waist to help prevent up to 100% of leaks, even blowouts. Pamper Swaddlers are dermatologist approved by the Skin Health Alliance, hypoallergenic and free of parabens and latex. Your baby deserves that. And they're available in a wide range of sizes from newborn to size eight, and now feature designs with the newest animal characters, Shiloh the Elephant and Freddy the Duck. 
having a diaper you can depend on is important. And it's why I have always loved Pampers, the number one pediatrician recommended brand. Download the Pampers Club app today to start earning rewards with every diapers and wipes purchase. Not to mention, get great parenting content with Pampers Club. Hey, Red, what are you up to? Just making sure all the M&M's gifts are wrapped and the balls filled. Remember that one holiday party when we had no M&M's? Oh boy, I still have nightmares. The cookies? Yeah, you used all the M&M's candies that were meant to decorate the party treats to decorate snowmen. You did it again, didn't you? <laughs> they do look cute, though. Bringing cheer. M&M's for all fun kind. Hi, Latina to Latina listeners. It's Brenda from Tamarindo Podcast. And if you love Latina to Latina, then we know that you're going to love Tamarindo Podcast. And if you're in the L.A. area and can't make it to the Latina to Latina live event, we'd like to invite you to our event on March 28th at 6.30 p.m. We're hosting Amigas Blossoming, a night of celebrating and cultivating blossoming friendships. This will be in Highland Park, and all the details to RSVP for free are at tamarindopodcast.com forward slash events. Tell me about that rapport that you just referenced between yourself and someone like Judge Jackson. I mean, for all of the people that you shoot, is there relationship building that goes into that work? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. As a photojournalist, our role is very personal because we're asking to make a photo of somebody, which can be really scary, you know, to have your image ingrained in a history book forever. (laughs) And so I always like to build relationships so that people can feel a little more comfortable around me and comfortable around my presence when I'm making photos of them, because I think it's really important for the person on the other side of the camera to feel like they can trust me. And so, yeah, when I, when I would see Judge Jackson walking through the hallways, there were like a couple times where I maybe like made a joke or made a comment. And so she sort of became a little familiar with me. And then when it came time where I was able to actually meet her one-on-one just after the photo went viral, she already thought that we met. She's like, oh, you know, we already know each other. (laughs) So I thought that was pretty cool. Tell me about the moment you caught that photo of Layla. So when I made that photo of Layla, I was peering over the edge of um, a wall on the side of the room. I was standing on top of a step stool so that I could sort of be at the same height uh, as my colleagues. And this was during a time at the end of the hearings where things were kind of slowing down a bit. And I was kind of looking around thinking like, okay, what pictures can I make next? I feel like I've made a lot of different variations of photos. And at that moment, um, Senator Dick Durbin started giving Judge Jackson words of affirmation and praising her, um, speaking on her accomplishments. And I remember looking over and seeing Layla smile. And I didn't have my camera to, up to my face yet. And so I sort of just looked at her and I smiled back and I processed what that moment might have felt like for her. And I thought about, you know, my own mother. What would it feel like to see my mother sitting in that seat? Because I I know what it's like to, you know, create a seat at the table. And I know what it's like to watch my mother work extremely hard. And so it made me sort of emotional in that moment. And that's when I lifted up my camera 
hoping that she would make that same exact expression again. And I was sort of talking to myself under my breath, like, come on, come on, come on. (laughs) And then when, you know, she did it again, I was just like, okay, I got it. I got the photo. And I had no idea that it would resonate with so many people. I just knew that it was really special for me and it made me feel something really relatable. Part of what I love about that story is that the the prime spots in that room are really in the center of that room, right? That is the like ideal angle. Most of the photos that we process are from that angle. You were on the side of the room, which sort of feels to me like a perfect metaphor for women of color (laughs) in professional spaces trying to use what could be perceived as a deficit, a bias, a limitation, and instead having to jujitsu it into a strength. Right. And when we look at photos from these hearings, the most symbolic image is always the person testifying or speaking who raises their right hand at the table. And it's always taken from the well position, which is the center position on the floor. And so when I went home, that evening, after the first day of the hearings, I remember going on Instagram and I was seeing that everybody was sort of posting that same photo of Judge Jackson with her hand up. And I thought, you know, I want to share something that was really unique to my experience and something that really resonated with me. And that was what steered me to share that image of Layla and share something a little different that we that we hadn't seen yet. You mentioned that Oftentimes, people of color and photographers of color are on the sides of the room. And so on the second day, I sent out a text to all the Black photographers that were there that day. And I told them, hey, let's get together and take a group picture. Because I knew that on the first day, we weren't visible because we were on the sides. And so I wanted people to know that we actually were in the room and that we were making pictures. Because for me, whenever I'm watching documentaries on Netflix and looking at archival footage, I'm always looking for, where is that woman of color in the well? Where is that Black woman? Where is that Latina woman making photos? And so I just really wanted people to see that we were there. Sorry, Beth, you said that seeing Judge Katanji Brown-Jackson reminded you so much of your own mom. Tell me more about your mom. Growing up, you know, I was raised by a single mother and I watched her working three jobs when I was in elementary school and junior high school. And so that really set the standard for me of what hard work and sacrifice looks like. And so I could really feel that while I was listening to the hearings. The thing that my mother always told me was just do your best. She didn't want me to be a plus student or the valedictorian or whatever. She just wanted me to do my best, whatever that looked like for me. And I think it was really special that she sort of instilled that in me, just focus on whatever my best is. And so I really, I always carry that with me. And my mom is also my best friend. I feel like my mom is the person that I can go to for anything. She's always been extremely supportive of my career as a photojournalist. My mother was an artist when she wasn't working. She really gave me like free range as a child to just explore artistically. I remember we had this door in our kitchen that started off just with white paint on it. And she let me paint a whole mural on it. (laughs) And that's something really unique, I think, as a parent to say, hey, you can paint on this 
you know, thing in our house and we can do it together. When all of a sudden everyone was sharing the photo and everyone was talking about the photo, I saw a lot of references to you as a young Black female photographer who'd grown up in the Bay Area. And that is all true. You are also Latina. And I wonder if that experience of being coded incompletely has happened before in your life. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I always grew up sort of playing a game of tug of pool with my identity because I am Latina and I am Black. And there were times where it felt challenging to know what do I identify with more because I grew up in a Latina household with two Latino women. But going to school as a kid and not having many other people of color in that school, I was always just referred to as the Black girl. And so that was very real for me as a child. And so I accepted the fact that, okay, maybe I am just Black, or maybe I am just Latina. And so as I got older, I think I started accepting and exploring what my own identity meant for me and less of what it meant for other people. And so now I do strongly identify as both Latina and Black. I also think that part of it is that the story, the narrative was about the incredible history of the first Black woman on the Supreme Court. I wonder if you had taken a similar photo during Sonia Sotomayor's confirmation, if you then would have immediately been coded as Latina because it would have fit the the narrative of the moment. Right. And that's the interesting thing when we're talking about identity. And it's it's something that I've always been really uncomfortable talking about because it's taken me so long to figure it out. And so now that I'm talking about it, it it's it's just this really scary, but... Scary because you're afraid of saying something wrong? Absolutely. And I feel like being able to identify with both of those things, it's a balance because obviously for the confirmation hearings, I identified as um, a woman of color, but you know, also very strongly as a Black woman because being Black is a very singular experience at times. And a lot of my experience has been defined or shaped by other people because we really respond to race based on our own experiences. And so people can look at me and make an assumption just based on their own environment. I think you wrote this in Oprah Daily, and I I really liked it, which is you talk about how your profession is a tough business to break into. It requires resources, long hours dedicated to building a portfolio, often for little or no pay, and expensive equipment that is not accessible to most people. I mean, a lot of those barriers to entry are why we don't see more people of color in your line of work. Do you have a sense of what it would take to begin to address those barriers? Yeah, I think that lack of resources is the main reason why we don't see more Black women and women of color pursuing photojournalism, because it's not just a job that you hop into. It's really a lifestyle that you take time to invest a lot of money into and time. And, you know, like I said in that article, I did a lot of work for free just to build my portfolio and not to mention the time like researching stories. And so the way that I did it was 
the thing that helped me the most was being able to live at home during my time in college. And I am a first-generation college student, so just getting to college was a huge barrier. And I remember when I was in high school applying for colleges, I had this college advisor who said, don't let money be the reason you don't go to college. And I went home that day and I told my parents that and they were kind of like, whoa, okay, what can we do? And so I gave them a flyer and they went to this class where they learned about the prerequisites I needed and financial aid and how it could help me get through college. And so I was able to get through college solely on FAFSA, scholarships, and grants. And I was able to get through it debt-free, but I had to work my ass off to do that. And luckily, I had the support of my parents, my mom and my stepdad, who let me live in the house with them, who paid for my BART so that I could get to school every day, public transportation. It, it was a journey. Like It was really a journey to, to get to where I am. Sarah, once you have a photo, not just go viral, but a photo that will now become iconic part of history, like you will have kids one day and they will read history textbooks that have like a 50% shot of having your photo in that textbook. And they will say, my mom took this photo. My mom was in the room when this moment happened. When you have something iconic like that happened so early in your career. How is it shaping your thinking about where you take your career from this moment? That's a tough question because for me, I'm always thinking in the opposite way. (laughs) I'm thinking of what am I doing right now? And I'm always focused on like the present moment. I don't tend to think too far ahead because I, as a photojournalist, I feel like it's easy to get swept up in the news cycle and not live in the moment. And so I try to force myself to operate so that I'm just thinking in the present. And I'm always carrying what my mom told me, just do the do your best, do the best you can. And that's really all I'm thinking about. But I hope that when 10 years from now, whatever that does look like, that this image really serves as an inspiration to women to feel like they can be in these spaces that were not historically designed for us to be in. And they can look back and see that I was there 10 years ago and that Judge Jackson was sitting there and Layla was sitting there and that this is what the room looked like. And I I hope that that um, can just continue to inspire people and continue to create this ripple effect of conversations that I've seen so many people having about representation and why it's important. Sarbeth, thank you so much for doing this. Thank you. This was amazing. Thank you, as always, for listening. Latina to Latina is executive produced and owned by Juleka Lantigua and me, Alicia Menendez. Polina Velasco is our producer. Manuela Bedoya is our marketing lead. Kojin Tashiro is our associate sound designer and makes this episode. We love hearing from you. It makes our day. Email us at hola at latinatolatina.com. Slide into our DMs on Instagram. Tweet us at latinatolatina. Check out our merchandise that is on our website, latinatolatina.com slash shop. 
And remember, please subscribe or follow us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Good Pods, wherever you are listening right now. Every time you share this podcast, every time you share an episode, every time you leave a review, it helps us to grow as a community. A little update on our March 27th live recording of Latina to Latina. You did it. You sold out our early bird tickets. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. There is still time to grab your regular tickets while they last. Again, the details. We are partnering with our friends at Poderistas to bring you a conversation with New York Times bestselling author Sochil Gonzalez. It is happening at the William Vale in Brooklyn on March 27th. You can find the link to purchase tickets on our Instagram page at Latina to Latina or online at Alicia Menendez XO. I cannot wait to see you.